I like cake. You <laughs> I like cake too. Who doesn't like cake? <laughs> Who would have thought we were going to talk about cake when we talk about disaster recovery? You could restore it all. Welcome to BackupCentral.com's Restore It All podcast. This is your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I'm the chief technologist at Druva. My co-host has 15 years of technical experience in the storage industry, and we're lucky to have him as Druva's director of product architecture. I'm super excited to have him on the podcast, Prasanna Maliandi. Great to be here, Curtis. Happy to have you. Speaking of Druva, we should state the opinions you hear on the broadcast are our own. Let's get started. We previously recorded a podcast about ransomware, and I think that ransomware is going to become the primary reason why people declare a disaster, because it's the way that you can not pay the ransom. You recover your own stuff, don't pay the ransom, you're good to go. Right. And this is not a DR plan. This is a DR system. I remember working for companies, we had a DR plan. The DR plan was... We hope we never have to declare a disaster. You know, we'd go grab our tapes and we, you know, we, and we would test our DR plan, but we would always pick just like one critical system and we would recover. And by or the your way, DR run book, I guess. is Yeah. The one. DR run book. Right. And it never worked. Right. Every time we did, there, there was, there were, there was no test that was 100% successful. Or sometimes people would look and say, I will do DR testing and I will restore the storage, but oops, I can't really recover my applications or the entire environment. Right. right. It'll just be part of the environment they recover. So let's talk about the different ways that companies do DR. There's the old, old way, which is still being done, I think, by some companies, and that is this idea of a hot standby. So I pay enough money to have an entire data center ready to go, which is equivalent enough to my current data center, and then I'm going to replicate all of my data and all of my apps over there. And I talked to some people last week where, you know, it's still a thing where they're doing the cross-site replication. Bidirectional replication, usually right. synchronous or semi-synchronous. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that system other than the fact, just cost. But if it's a tier one application, right, if it's mission critical for me, then maybe that's okay to pay for a small subset of my environment to be replicated that way. Right. The the only other, from a architecture standpoint, as a backup person, I, I've never been a fan of that kind of DR because you couldn't use it for operational recovery. Because if something corrupted your data, it just makes their corruption more efficient. It sends it to another. That's correct. It only deals with physical issues, not logical corruptions. Like ransomware. So that's that's one way. So another way that people did was they would use something like SunGuard. So a service where they have a data center and you don't pay for the data center. It's an insurance policy and you have a contract that says, if I have a disaster, I can use a portion of your data center and I'm going to pay an amount based on the cost of that portion or the size of that portion. And usually you give them a, here's my runbook. When something happens, they'll usually go and execute that runbook for you. And the one issue that I always had with that idea was this idea of a run on the bank. So if there's a regional disaster and let's say we're, you know, we're in the Bay Area and there's a giant earthquake and a bunch of companies go to do the same thing in the same place and there's just not enough space. For sure. Yeah. It gets expensive and 
So now there's the cloud. And I think the public cloud addresses both of those issues. It can be less expensive to operate. And also you don't have this issue of having a run on the bank because you could actually perform your DR in another region, which is super impressive. But there's still two ways to do it. There is still the replication style way. And then there is the, I'm going to use my backups in some way as a way to recover from a disaster. And I don't think that the cost issue of the old way of using replication is any different in the new way of using replication. Not at all. Again, nothing wrong with it. There are companies that do this. One thing about replication is you can have a, an RPO and an RTO of zero, which is great, but you pay dearly for that. And also... How far back can I go in terms of recovery as well? Some of them are better than others, I think, at that. But I still wouldn't think of it as a backup system. So I would still need a DR system and a backup system, which is something that has always bugged me as a backup person. I've always, I wished that there was a way to have, to have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> I like cake. You <laughs> I like cake too. Who doesn't like cake? <laughs> Who would have thought we were going to talk about cake when we talk about disaster recovery? For a lot of people though, they don't need that high level, that zero RPO, RTO notion for all of their data center. I would argue that the vast majority of companies do not need an RPO and RTO of zero. And for them, something sort of like backup-based disaster recovery, where I can now use my backup copies as my disaster recovery copies makes more sense just from a cost perspective. So it's interesting. The advantages of one are the disadvantages of the other and vice versa. So using your backups as a way to do DR is way less expensive than using replication. But depending on the type of backup you use, you probably are not going to get the RTO or RPO that you could with a replicated replication system. type system. It reminds me somewhat of... If you ask a professional photographer, what is the best camera? Do you know what a very common answer is? The one in your hand. Yes. You apply that to this concept. The best DR system is one you can afford. There's nothing wrong with a Bugatti, right? And there's nothing wrong with these high-end systems, but they are definitely more expensive. And it's they are even more expensive if you also have to have an operational recovery system. By the way, speaking of the Bugatti, yeah. every 10,000 miles, you have to change all four wheels and tires because of how fast it runs. Yeah. Really? So so to do that, it's $40,000. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm ever going to have one of these cars. <laughs> so if we're going to use our backups, and again, we're going to use the cloud. We're not using tape and we're not using, we're not recommending uh, SunGuard, right? It, it, this is about using the cloud. So there's a couple different ways we can do that. There are a bunch of companies that will take your VMs and will restore them into a VPC. And then they do what? Usually after that, they convert it. Right. And how do they do that? A majority of it is leveraging native Amazon tools, such as AWS VM import utility that they provide in order to do that conversion. Which was designed for disaster recovery, right? <laughs> no. It, yeah. It was designed for migration. Right. It was not designed for speed. And so this is a classic example where this is a tool that totally works and it's totally affordable, right? You know, it's a free tool. But it was a tool that was designed to, by its name, import things into AWS. It was not designed to be quick and to do a disaster. And so it took, because I know you spent a lot on our DR side. So it something like four hours plus to do a, an import? I would say four to 20 hours, depending on how big your VM is. And these aren't and like- that's per like VM. 10, that's per VM. And now this isn't, I'm not even talking about like 10 terabyte, 20 terabyte VMs. Right. You're not talking about 
Yeah, I'm not talking about that size. You're talking about like a 10 gigabyte VM. It would still take like four hours to. It was probably around 100 gig. VM. Okay, okay. It was four hours and maybe a terabyte is like 20 hours ish. Wow. And it is a function of the size of the VM because you're importing it. Yep. And I think all of our competitors, <laughs> all of the ones that I looked at, this is what they do. They restore the VMDK. And then they run AWS import on it. Yep. And which means that, let's just translate that down. It means that you're looking at an RTO at best of four hours, probably many more than four hours. Yep. And we used to do that too. Oh, for sure. But we now do something different, which I think is way cool, right? So we figured out that there isn't a huge difference between a VMDK and an AMI. Rather than run it through an importer, we surgically alter this VMDK and insert the right drivers and other things so that that VMDK is now runnable as an AMI. That's correct. Which is because of how we do it, the amount of time to do that is irrespective of the size of the VM. And so how much time are we talking there? I think it's somewhere in the range of 15 or 10 to 20 minutes. Yeah. So there's the process of restoring the VMDK to the most recent version in the, in the VPC. And then there's this surgery type process. You can call it conversion, but you know, we're, we're very quick to say we're not converting it, meaning we're not doing what the other guys are doing, but we are yep. kind of converting it, right? We're converting it via surgery. Just changing the format. So yeah. it's yeah, we're surgically suitable. altering it so that it, it will, will run as an AMI. And so while we're not able to have an RTO of zero, we can have an RTO of 15 to 20 minutes, which I think a, a company that has been hit by a ransomware attack they're going to take 15 to 20 minutes just to think about what to yep. do, right? And then the, and what about the RPO? So the RPO is based on your backup frequency. So however often you're doing your backups, that's what's available for failover too. For the vast majority of companies who don't need, uh, right, most companies don't need an RPO and an RTO of zero. We're able to give them an RTO of 15 to 20 minutes and an RPO of however often they would like to do their backups, which can be as frequent as every hour, could be every day. But because our backups work the way they work, they can back up more frequently with less pain, right? It's not the way it was in the old days. You don't have to worry about your fulls and all the rest of that. Right. Now, we do this periodic conversion to the AMI. How often do customers do that, right? Is it, is it normal for them to say, do that after every backup or do they do it every day? So we do the conversion when you actually have to fail over. Oh, okay. What about the restore yeah. part? So the restore part happens whenever you're doing your backup. So you can set the frequency. Okay, you can set the frequency. Is there, do people normally do it right after the backup? Typically, it's after right. the backup. Right, so they do it right after the backup, and so that restore part is, you know, so it's ready to go, and then we just do the conversion only when necessary. So if we're doing a disaster recovery of an entire data center, there's a lot more than what I just described. There, you know, it's, it's a lot more than just bringing up a VM. It's going to be bringing up a lot of VMs that have to be brought up in a certain order. So what we're doing is we actually now have the ability to let you sort of specify boot order. Right. For instance, you might want your Active Directory server to come up before your database, which comes up before your web server so your application can actually run. So you can actually specify and say, make sure the Active Directory server gets booted first and is actually successfully booted before you go on to the next step. Right. So you can now orchestrate all the steps that you want to bring up your DR. So that includes things like wait periods, right? Yes, that's correct. You can specify how long to wait uh, between certain VMs coming up. Okay. And what to do on failures. Do you want it to continue? Do you want it to stop? Right. And then also um, like 
maybe testing scripts along the way or pre and post scripts? That's correct. Right. If you wanted to have a command that you run after you bring up an instance, you could do that as well. Right. Cool. And by the way, you can also have it so you can periodically test your, is your DR going to run in a separate VPC with separate networking, et cetera, rather than actually having to fail over your production. That's, I mean, that that's awesome, right? Because I remember, again, I worked for a large bank. We would do a test once every six months that wouldn't work, would take an entire weekend. It was just this huge operation with all of these people and it never works. Um, with this, this is a one button kind of test. That's right? correct. And it can be run completely independently of your production failover setup. So you can have it run in its own VPC, everything isolated, just to make sure that it will work when you actually have to click that big red button. A lot of companies do failover. What about failback? Failback is usually harder for a lot of competitors. The hardest part is how do you bring the data back? How do you do the conversion from an Amazon machine instance after it's been running a while and bring right. it back? We do provide the ability now to actually bring back that instance. Say, for instance, you have a disaster, you're now up in the cloud running, and now you've reinstantiated your production instance, your data center. We actually do provide the ability to fail back those uh, Amazon machine instances back to your on-premises data center so you can continue running. So you can kind of think of it as I'm bursting to the cloud for disaster recovery purposes. Mm -hmm. Once I recover things, now I can go back to running on-premises. Or a customer can decide, I never want to go back to premises. Let me just keep running in the cloud. We can support both options. It'll be interesting as we, you know, we've, we've only been doing it this way for a few months. It'll be interesting as we continue and, and customers declare disasters and then they go, gee, this, this cloud, it's very nice. I would like to stay here. <laughs> I don't know why I did that with an accent, but uh, <laughs> I did anyway. But I've actually talked to a lot of customers who said, we are wrapping down some of our data centers. I don't want to build up another data center. If I fail over to the cloud, just let me keep running. Interesting. All right. I think we have beat disaster recovery to death. Summarizing, there are certain use cases where you do need that RPO, RTO of zero, where you might have dedicated DR data centers or use replication technologies in the cloud. For other purposes, you might want to consider backup-based DR where it's good enough for most of your use cases and it allows you to only spin up your DR infrastructure when you... And the way we do it is much faster than the way our competitors do it. They're looking at four hours plus per VM. We're able to do it in 15 to 20 minutes, which is a pretty big deal, I think. Well, Prasanna, thanks again for joining me on a podcast. Always a pleasure. And I know, I know it is such a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to those of you listening out there to our podcast. Make sure to subscribe so that you won't miss another episode of Restore It All. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spade. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth the space.
once it'll be completely done Maybe one day it'll all look out You're sure someone's vile and totally make out